Walt Silva. Producing the show is Colleen Kelly. The theme song is called Disturbance and is written and performed by Renate Jet and Jet Music. You are listening to Wolf Spirit Radio at wolfspiritradio.com. Emotionally undercover for a lover overdressed. The cycle is created long before you start to think that the blink is your decision what you do. No clue for the food fighters. And you are live. I think. What happened? Well, if you don't open your mic, you're not live. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> uh, so, after yeah, mic. Yes, yes. So um, Walter is here with me, Walt Silva, and Colleen Kelly, our producer, and this is the Cosmic Reality Show. It is April 19th. Um, we're doing the Cosmic Reality Show. Isn't that stupid of me? I just spaced out on what show I was on. <laughs> no, you were just switching dimensions, that's all. Oh, I'll tell you, that was a funny one. <laughs> um, anyway, um, what we're going to do today is we're going to um, take a safe subject and talk about uh, cosmic real- the rules of cosmic reality. Uh now, Walt has got a, a situation that, that he was asking me about, and it sort of like is a good way to kind of start out. But before we start out, I'm going to say, hi, Walt. How are you doing? Do you want to say hello, hello to the audience? Hello, Nancy. You've been so quiet. I haven't seen any emails from you, no messages, nothing. So I figured you must have been like really, really deep, deep, deep undercover doing some of your Hyper super military intelligence stuff. Yeah, working for the like. working for the dark side. You mean? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was actually um, working to get stuff in the store, in the Shungite store. We were um, well. I, it's continual. It's continual. I'm continually trying to re- re- restock and that sort of thing. So um, anyway. Um, and it's one of the better parts of it because I was making pendants and I, well, I was doing a lot of things, but you get so into the, just the, you know, playing around with all that shungite, man, it's fun. <laughs> I, I mean, I can't really talk about having a, a work situation because when I'm really producing, I'm in just such a lovely state. I highly recommend it. Colleen, how are you doing tonight? She's got her mic off. See, it must be catchy. Oh, yes. I thought I had it open, but I guess I had it. I don't know what the hell. I'm doing fine. (laughs) (laughs) Multitasking sometimes is confusing. Well, Mm. that's why I'm going to stick in here. uh, Well, I'm just going to say V, and I'm going to put this link in. Because that's the uh, list of the cosmic reality rules that you can, you know, periodically post in, in the uh, chat so that they can follow along with us. Um, okay, now, Walt, you've got your list. I've got my list. Uh, where did I put my list? Okay. Uh, now, how, when I wrote the, um, the book Cosmic Reality, actually the first book was where I kind of realized the only way to explain to people what I was understanding is to tell them the stories of how I got the information that made me think the way I was thinking. And, of course, the first book is was very depressing initially because I was seeing a, a 
terrible situation in the United States. Not only would they assassinate uh, the president of the United States, but the more I looked, the uh, the deeper the quagmire became. And I could tell people what I saw at that point, and that that was even after my military experience. But I didn't have any way of any anything to give them to fight back with. It looked like a lost cause. So it just wasn't any motivation into telling somebody something they couldn't do anything about. Uh, so then I said to the universe, you know, like, fine, you've told me it's bad. Now what do we do about it? And for the next 15 years of my life, probably well, it continues, um, my experience led me to understand certain rules that ended up being called the rules of cosmic reality. The first one we talk about all the time, reality is what we think it is. Now, that's where Walt's question comes in, sort of, um, because because I don't want to get into, we talk about this in the other t- next two all the time. I don't really want to get into a heavy conversation of that because there's actually 16 of them, and those are the ones that I wrote about, never mind the other five or so that we have since we started this radio show. But, um, Walt, tell, explain the, the situation about the oil and, and the question you asked me, please. Can you? Sure. Uh, well, um, the information comes from a person's private message to Nancy and myself. Um, the person had a personal uh, journey. I, I can only equate it to something like a shamanic journey. And she was given uh, a great volume of information from the person's father who unbeknownst to her in the years that she, that he was alive, uh, he was essentially working for the cabal and he was abundantly informed of the dealings of the secret governments or the, um, the or let's say the non-public government with, uh, of, of planet concerns, let's say that. So one of the pieces of information, uh, I, I want to make reference to something you've said in other shows. I don't mean to interrupt myself on the flow of what I'm saying. It's just, um, many of the people in the audience follow your show regularly. So they must have heard you. You've told the story more than once of the situation that you had years ago when you had to, <clears throat> uh, declare, you know, sovereignty, you know, declare dominion over the earth so that the, uh, the galactics could come in and do something about these uh, marauders that were stealing tourmaline from the planet. If I remember your story correctly, tourmaline had a male energy, yet Gaia needed it. And these guys were mining it and taking it off planet without anyone's apparent permission. And they needed at least one human who would claim dominion. And that let, I guess, the galactic police <laughs> come in and deal with these folks so that this uh, unapproved mining concern could be stopped. Well, along those lines, part of the volume of information that came to us is revealing that uh, the chemistry, the makeup of the oil that gets drilled and extracted from deep ocean wells is radically different from the oil that's extracted over land, over the continent. 
And uh, the, this particular type of oil contains a substance that um, the person who witnessed this describes it as uh, flecks of gold. Um, she's unable to classify what it is or what it does, but it's specific to the planet and very valuable. It's not the traditional mineral that we know that we label as gold. It just looks that way. Well, they, they extract this oil, they process it, they filter out this particular component, and it gets shipped off planet. So this is happening without the knowledge of the majority of humanity. So I asked Nancy, is there something that you could do along the lines of what you did with tourmaline? Can we declare dominion of the earth in the name of humanity and have this stopped? And I said, uh, the humans that had, uh, that have agreed to have this happen, would that get in the way? And you were of the opinion that yes, because there is human involvement and there's human agreement to this happening. And then I went back to you with the argument, yes, but it's a very tiny group that have agreed this to happen. It has been agreed to in secrecy and concealment from the rest of humanity. So wouldn't that in and of itself invalidate the agreement because you're, I mean, humanity didn't agree to this, just this little tiny group. So now that we are becoming aware of it, we shouldn't we have the right to say no? In the name of humanity, that's all of us, not just a tiny group. You know, we do not agree to this. And that was my question to you on the email. Does that not give us the right to revoke? Does humanity... All of humanity does not, doesn't it have the right to revoke an agreement made by a tiny group? And I will submit that it was, took one person to have the marauders sent away. Mm. Um, how can I put this? If, first off, the decision, interestingly enough, is never really a human being's. It's Gaia's. If we went to Gaia and said, Gaia, look at, we, we're really not happy with this situation and she agreed with us, then we could do it. If she said, well, you know, those people over there, they think that they're right and I'm not going to decide, then we have no decision. If she's willing to let this happen, on her watch without saying, no, it's not going to happen. And of course, if she was going to do that, she would need witnesses. So the very fact that you are questioning it, wondering, you know, can this be stopped? And should it be stopped? I would assume is prompting by Gaia to look at it. The fact that we got the message to begin with is another look at. Mm -hmm. Take a look at this. Now, in part, we're talking about the concept of reality. If we wanted to say, okay, in our reality, you're not going to do this. Done deal. But every time we have to go back into that old reality to adjust something, you know, that's, that's really not anything that we should be mucking around with unless we're asked. Unless we're asked by either Gaia or in the case of the... <coughs> um, Old King blowout, it was somebody right there at the disaster, Linda. So, 
I don't know. What, does that make sense? Well, no, no, it does make sense because, well, look at the thing that we that we spoke about openly on the show. Um, I didn't ask to be taken to see that cube in that lucid dream. It, it happens, and I was there with those two people. So that obviously that was something that needed to be taken care of immediately. And then you saw the confirmation of why come through this person's very long letter. Because there's microorganisms frozen in the Antarctic from millions of years ago to which no life form has antibodies for. So if they were to, you know, be released, you know, major global catastrophe. So that explains why Gaia needed that device to be addressed as quickly as possible. And, and, and it was, and it was addressed. So I'm in agreement. Because she, with needs, you. because she needed the particular energy field of that device in order to drive this stuff deeper so that it mm-hmm. can't get out to encapsulize it was the message that I got. Did you get that same message? No, I thought it was whatever was there was because there was a, a distinction there that some of these microorganisms were just going to be uh, neutralized completely and others were going to be preserved because they were going to be needed in the future. Oh, so that's- since you've explained that that cube essentially inside it is a frozen black hole, okay, that would be the ideal garbage can in which to drop things you don't want to see again, right? Or to hold them to stasis. <laughs> okay, one of the things that um, we're talking about now is actually cosmic reality rule five. We're jumping ahead here, but it's because it came up in the conversation. And the rule is chance is a pseudonym for thought. Uh the other way that we talk about it is that, you know, circumstances, uh, um, synchronicities is actually thought and action. So that's why I said to you that, you know, when you, when, when something starts to come into your mind or you start to, to see something you've never seen before or you see repetitive things of things you did see before but it dismissed, it's usually some thought that's behind, well, it's always a thought that's behind it. And it's usually something in your own head or something in spirit that is trying to guide you to look at something. So um, let's see what happens next regarding that particular uh, mission. Mm. Because again, you know, it's like it, it every time. Well, I, I think that you'll you'll agree with me is that um, when we get. When you get hijacked or all of a sudden I have to go someplace in, in, in a remote kind of concept, um, there always seems to be some time element to it, even though I don't believe time exists. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, you gotta do it right now. Well, that's not time at all, it's position. You know, as we were traveling and rotating and traveling in this spiral and spirals of spirals, um, we're always in a different position. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it is a collision of energies that are so critical to a certain aha moment. Or, oh, we gotta do this now. So, um, best I can say is be prepared. <laughs> <laughs> but rule five is, um, a very critical rule. And a, and a lot of people, when they get to that in the book, actually stop. Um, 
it doesn't seem to be that difficult to understand, but for some reason it, it, it stops people. I've had many people tell me that they got to that point and for some reason would stop. And I think it's because if you look at it at, a, at a, the surface, you know, that, that there's no chance, there's no coincidence, there's no luck. It's all, you know, some way or another being controlled by some other mechanism. Your initial feeling is one of, um, loss of control. At least when you had chance, you had a chance. Well, but it's, it's funny because to me, I'm looking at it from another angle and it's a confirmation of how much control. What happens is here is a conflict of definition. What people think control is, you know, for some people control is to be able to manage everything in their life, you know, from their head to their toes and their husband, the wife, the kids, the dog, the cat, everything, you know, everything is under control. <laughs> I can have my cup of coffee and put my feet up for five minutes because everything that does is under control. When in reality, you don't need to do any of that, you know, live your type, follow your authority, and everything just falls into place. But in this case, number five, which reads chance is a pseudonym for thought. If anything, it goes to prove you how sovereign you are in your reality because I could read it the following way. Because you are thinking along a certain line or thinking along a certain track, you're creating the chance. All I did was change the positioning of it. Yeah, and that is the key to, to it all. So it just maybe that's why they stop. <laughs> you know, because, because if if you go to okay, go I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, it's just that that's one of the things about chance is that chance is ruled by the uh, in many in in many ways of looking at it, chance is also subject to the laws of duality. But you could have a, a, a chance to do a positive thing, or you could have a chance to put your foot so deep in it nobody can get you out. <laughs> it, it always follows your train of thought. Because you had this focused train of thinking, you created this chance. It, so, but people don't see it that way. Many people conceive of control something I can grab with my hand. I can go to this office and talk to this person and have this thing done. And that's their idea of control, doing something physical, some physical interaction with your immediate reality. That's my control, like sitting behind the steering wheel and I can move the wheel and I can push the pedals and hit the buttons. I'm in control when nothing is, that's not control. It's just having an experience of physical movement. And that's, that's where the, I think the conflict comes in. It's that definition in your mind. What is control? Well, it comes to, it goes back to the, um, preceding, uh, cosmic rule, which is rule number five. Success lies in the being, not in the doing. Correct. So if you're sitting there and you're realizing that the power of your thought will overwhelm any other kind of thing you do, and that that's where, if you just get to that point where you're completely in control of your thoughts, then you're more powerful than anything you could do to control anything because you're in control of your own thoughts. True? I prefer the word choice. I don't like the word control. This is a personal preference of okay, mine. Okay, okay. Because 
choice is effortless, resistanceless. Control has this, has this connotation of effort, force, hard. You need, like you're pushing against something, uh, where choice is very elegant, very smooth, it's just flowing. Okay, so I have this bunch of thoughts coming at me like wild horses. Some are nice, some are not so nice, and some are excellent. Okay, I'm gonna choose these. So I'm just gonna let myself float in this direction, and the rest can just go by. I don't need to control anything. If anything, I'm just controlling my choice. You know, if you're going to be persnickety about it. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it sounds easy. Just control your thoughts. But earlier today, I was um, just sitting there. I like to sit and think. And I'm sitting there, and I kept finding my mind um, going places that it wasn't any control outside of me. It was it was just my thinking was bringing me into some thoughts that I just really don't like to think about. And I, and it was because it was, I think it was really teaching because it was doing it more often than, I mean, I don't go through the day with all these lottie-dottie thoughts in my head. I try to keep it full of positive thinking, but, you know, when you're just doing something and all of a sudden something reminds you of something that you don't like to think about, but you're already into it, um, I have to counteract it. I mean, I'm not continually into a perfect state of thinking. I'm continually fighting to get into a perfect state of thinking. So, you know, I'm, but this time I'm like watching how it's all happening. And I'm like really kind of intrigued at the way that it came out of just nothing really important, but then it would lead to something that was negative. And I'm going like, why am I, why am I being led, led to this negativity? Because it's not, it didn't feel like something that I normally was doing. And so then I, I, I looked at it and I said, well, I just don't want to go there again. And I felt my mind do a, almost like a, like a check mark, hide this. Don't think about it again. And I realized that that's the key is that when we start to go in, when we all of a sudden realize that we've got a negative thing, I've been saying, think of something positive. I think it's more important that you think about the negative thing and say, you know, I don't want to think about that again. Because I do believe that we can program our own mind and that the mind is going to listen to you before it's going to listen to anybody else. What do you think a habit is? It's just a subroutine. Exactly. The same way that you have physical habits. I have a habit every day at 4 p.m. I have to have a glass of wine. And you feel uncomfortable if you don't have it. Because we have the, this ability to create subroutines. Well, the same way you have physical habits, you have mental habits. It's just that nobody ever bothered to sit down and, and notice it. Yeah, you have to pay attention to the details. You know, you really do. You have to, it's, it's like, if you, if you pay attention to the details and what's happening in your mind, first off, it might be scary <laughs> if you've never done it before, you know, because all sorts of weird things come into your head, but you're working on some <clears throat> kind of situation that you kind of like turn them off immediately, you know, or sometimes you go into them, you just flow with it yeah. and you get all the, upset. The, the big thing is that um, this is from just personal experience, not so much from book reading. Where the books kind of fall short on helping people with 
issues such as these, you know, mental habits and how I, oh, I, I, I have such bad, you know, for no reason at all, I'll start thinking along these lines and I'm thinking I want to hurt myself. And you have these built-in programs that you installed because of, for whatever reason, you know, bad, uh, bad company or repetitively doing the same thing or the repetitively making the same type of choice. So the mind is very smart, and if it sees that it's going to be doing the same thing a lot, it just makes a subroutine for it, and you end up doing it without having to invest any mental effort. It's just it's it's very a very economical way of doing it. But what they don't, <clears throat> when it's a self-destructive or you know negative type subroutine, um, few authors, you know give you something practical, you know, okay, how do we deal with it? And like you said, you know, we, we're here to learn how to manipulate energy. Well, if you accept that it's just, it's just energy, it's, we've set it up in a certain way that it's playing a certain, it's like a tape without a physical body and we've set it up and it's playing itself and I'm tired of doing this every time. Well, it's very simple. First off, it, what happens when you focus on something and we've spoken about this ad nauseum. <laughs> when you put your attention on something, do you make it stronger or do you make it weaker? Anybody there? You make it stronger. Okay. So if you have this negative subroutine or habit and you want to not deal with it anymore, the correct way is not to focus on it, but focus on the one that you do want. Okay, I want to take this energy that's doing this, and I'm tired of it, and like Play-Doh, just grab it and focus it. Okay, now I'm going to be doing this thing. So, and there's many ways to go about it. It's just your imagination is the limit. I mean, you could have it like, for example, uh, I don't know. I'm just going to come up with some crazy example. You're tired of thinking about bananas. Well, it's very easy. You, you can program yourself. Every time a banana comes into your head, you'll be thinking of potatoes. So the very energy of the old habit is fueling the new habit that you want. So you're just playing with the energy. You're not resisting. You're not controlling. Because the more you focus on the old thing, it, the stronger it'll get. So it's just replace it with something else. By replacing it with something else, you're subtracting the energy of your attention from the thing you don't like, and you're putting it on the thing that you do like. And the other one will just wither and die. Like you have a potted plant and you forgot to water it and feed it. Well, the poor thing is going to wither and die. It's playing with energy. People don't realize how amazingly powerful their attention is. We create the reality, like uh, like Inelia says, Inelia Ben says, you don't create reality like one hour today, two hours tomorrow. She says, you're creating the reality every instant. Every second that the clock is counting, you're creating it. It's just, you're so fluid at it, and it's such naked second nature to you, you don't realize that you're doing it. Well, see, now I was, I was more of the mind to just put a subroutine that would say, don't think about that anymore. I wasn't thinking in the, in terms of using that energy to fuel another thought. But it, it's a, it's just a technique. I mean, it's whatever you person feels comfortable with. I'd rather just do away with them. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, like I, I said, there's no limit. It's, the limit is your imagination. Precisely, precisely. Every it'll be different. 
That's why that's I always when I tell the people about the programming of the Shanghai devices, I will give them a few examples. I said, but don't use my words. Use your words, the ones that feel natural to you, the ones that resonate with your emotions. Because I I agree about the thoughts, but um, the mind and the thoughts is just giving form to things. The true fuel that's making it happen is the power of the feeling and the emotion behind it. Once you get that your emotion engine running, this, that thought is going to become a thing in no time flat. Just the yeah. thought by itself, it's like the, it's like um, when you're uh, the old projector-based movies, right? You're putting the film, and the projector is producing this light with this very powerful lamp. Okay, the thought is that slide, that image, and the emotion is that beam that's going to be putting this image on the wall. It's the emotion that's giving it the substance that you know affects you. It's 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 giving it it's giving it substance, where the thought is just the form of it. That's, that's why do you think? Great that, analogy. Great analogy. <laughs> Um, I'm sorry, did I interrupt you? I just wanted to comment on the fact. No, no, no. That, oh, that's a great analogy. Um, well, let's go on to the next one, which is, um, you're not alone. Because this ties into everything we said before. I, that, that show that I had with Annette was really interesting to listen to again because sometimes, well, a lot of times actually, <laughs> When I'm talking, I'm not even sure what I'm saying, <laughs> to be honest. I'm just like pulling stuff out of my memory and just talking. You know, it's like I'm not, I'm, it's not like when you're writing, well, it's sort of the same thing when you're writing, you know, it's just fl- flowing out of you. And when I went back and listened to it, um, her questioning and the way that she controlled the way that she wanted the answers was, was built upon one thing after another. But we, we did get into the concept of, you know, what's a soul? Um, is there is there one soul, one person, or is it one soul, many incarnations to learn? And is it that these one souls come together to become the collective soul? And then perhaps the collective soul behind that is Gaia herself or the source God or whatever gods that, you know, you feel comfortable with. And that's part of the concept of you you are not alone. This is, you know, you are not the only person in the universe. There are many, many other versions of yourself. Uh, are you just a human being? Are you a soul that inhabits a human being? Are you a spirit that has many souls? I mean, it, it can get very complex. Then there's, there's the concept of, okay, are there ETs out there that can help you? Are there, is it, is it your own self from the future that might be helping you out? Is there, uh, Jin that might be helping you out and watchers? I mean, there is, is so many different concepts of, I should, I should also say, I'm getting, I should also say the angels. I forgot the angels. Thank you. Um, it, it, it's the concept that there are many different versions of spirit that might be out there to guide us. And then, of course, we've got the, you know, the 3D concept that 
you've pointed out to us, Walt, of the lower self or the animal self that is a, a type of, of electromagnetic entity in and of itself that also sort of like has the blueprint for the physical body. But where's that coming from? Is there one soul that is projecting all these humans and then some of these humans, which are very animalistic, so to speak, higher form, yes, maybe. And then some of them are being um, also, you know, that you get a higher soul. You get the soul coming in. You know, for all we know, there's humans and there's human beings. There may be humans out there that are not soul connected. I don't know. But I do know that you're not, you're never alone. And if you don't believe me, why are you listening to Wolf Spirit Radio? You're, you're here. You're here with us with people that feel the same way that you feel. We have different ways of looking at it, but we're willing to share those ways. And if you're open to realizing that you're never alone and you just ask for help, you feel alone, ask for help. And the universe will bring it to you. But again, it goes back to Walt's point that you have to have an emotional connection to most thoughts in order for the thought to really take a manifestation. And it, that's not, that's not fear shit. I mean, it can be, but you don't, we don't, it, it's joy. It's the feeling of, I want to feel happiness. I want to feel contentment. I want to feel like I've got a purpose. All these, these positive things. Cause if you go the other way, well, you know, they, they can be very powerful emotions and they will manifest. Um, but they're not the ones you really want to deal with. I wouldn't anyway. Uh, so, you know, it, it, you have this emotional kind of thing that happens. But the other thing is the way that we address the universe. Okay. If I say I don't have any money to pay my mortgage, I'm making a contract going back to the contract discussion. All right. I make a, con a contract. I'm agreeing to the fact that I don't have any money. If I say, how, we, how am I going to pay my mortgage? You're asking the universe to give you an answer. And as long as you are fully understanding that the universe is comprised of a, a never-ending abundance of the basic proto-energy to manifest anything, and that it goes out of its way to find the best way. I don't know how. I just know that when I first started out in this, I would manifest things like, you know, maybe I should, and i get into these detailed things, and I'd imagine, I mean, I'd imagine the crap out of them, but I'm, I'm a writer. I play in my head all the time anyway, so I would think, you know, all these details, and then it would happen, but it would happen way beyond anything I had even thought about. The details of, you know, if I was thinking, well, I'd like a little shack, you know, just some place to call home. Well, they give me an acre of land. It's got a little shack on it, but it's got an acre of land, you know, and land that is full of vortexes and energy places that are just unbelievable. So, no, would I have ever imagined being so fortunate? You know, it was beyond my understanding, but the universe knew it and Bush. 
So it, 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 it's the, paying attention to details, you know. There are all sorts of people and spirits and guides and probably your higher self that are there to help you. You are not alone. But you have to learn to ask. And you have to learn to ask with a concept of how is it that it happens. Not that you're doubting that it could happen. And the other aspect to make it really mm, take off is this emotional energy behind it. Comments? Well, Colleen, you know, anytime you want to jump in here, I know you're busy with chat and stuff. But jump. Jump. (laughs) As long as you unmute the mic, then, you know. I got my mouth full. Oh, all right. Okay. See, I always get you. I get you. I must have some capability to know when you're chewing, even if your mic's off. No wonder she doesn't have a camera with Skype. Hey, at least she's got her teeth in. (laughs) Most of them. <laughs> well, what do you think? Well, never look, at it, look at it from another way. Why is solitary confinement the highest form of punishment? Well, that goes to that that um, uh, video I saw. Uh, what is the TV show on um, PBS? And it was entitled "The Brain," and the episode was. Um, why do I need you? Did you hear me talk about that, Walt? No, I, I saw your posting, but I didn't explore it. I didn't. Oh, understand. oh, wow! It was it was fascinating because what this guy does is he actually um, talks about how the brain functions in different kind of situations, and this was a an assessment of why do we need people, and do we need people? And they did a thing where they had um, people who. Were, had these little electrodes on them, you know, on their faces. And they showed them pictures of different people smiling and angry and, you know, scared and all these different facial um, pictures. And what they were saw was that the people were actually mirroring what they were seeing. So if somebody was smiling, the smile muscles would happen. If they were frowning, the frown muscles would happen. And then they took um, another group that was using Botox. And the Botox um, was, of course, freezing these muscles to be able to react. So instead of seeing the pictures, because they knew that they weren't going to get many measurements off of their faces, they did have them hooked up with the electrodes. But they, you know, they basically needed them to give them a thought of what they were seeing. Uh, because their faces weren't going to tell them because they weren't was not going to be any mirroring because there was Botox. And so they would put up a face, like a smiling face, and they'd ask the person, you know, what kind of emotion do you think this person is, is emoting? And uh, they didn't know. The fact that they could not mirror in their own face, it was like this hard hardwired disconnect. The facial muscles weren't able to mirror... And so, therefore, the signal as to what they were seeing didn't come through. Isn't that fascinating? Mm. Now, they took an autistic man who had been autistic. Well, he was autistic from, you know, since he probably had the vaccinations. But he, he didn't realize that he couldn't perceive facial features and see emotions. He never saw it, and so he didn't know it existed. And he was part of a, um, he was, he was, um, 
the very uh, and the very you know what is it Asperger's? He was more of an Asperger's uh, scale than autism. And is, they, that, is that the film where um, John Cleese was interviewing him? Oh, I don't know. No, it wasn't. No, might be the same guy, but no, this was not. That no, was not. It him. was a uh, he. He went. Uh, the young man looked to be like somebody of university age. He had uh, this condition where he could not identify facial gestures when people make, you know, emotional gestures, anger, fear, excitement. He had no, he had no way of knowing what they were. It's like somebody who's colorblind. They can see images, but they don't know what colors are what. So he was blind to human gestures, human facial gestures and expressions. Well, this is the same thing that was happening to this man. But when he got, he, now when he was talking, he looked like he might be in his early 50s. When this actually happened wasn't made clear to me, or I didn't see it. But mm. the, um, what happened was that they were doing some experiments with putting a, a magnetic charge in different sections of the brain, just from the outside. It wasn't intrusive at all. But they were, you know, giving it a shot of magnetism, much like an MRI type of thing, but, you know, in specific areas of the brain. And um, seeing if something, you know, first off, taking pictures, okay, we just hit it with magnetism here, what's happening to the brain in different places would light up, you know, how they can look at the brain that way now. Um, and so this man got, I don't know exactly where, but it was very specific in the frontal lobe. And after that, he went home and he was like... Oh, all of a sudden, he was seeing all these faces and all this expression. And so he called back and told the doctor about this, and they were all, I wonder what that was about, but they expected it to go away, and it never did. So somehow or another, this magnetic field linked up whatever was missing in his brain, and now he could again see, this the, 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 for the first time, see facial expressions. And he said it opened up an entirely different world to him. But they also did one, uh, part of it was on um, that young lady who had been one of, well, there was two other guys with her, and they had gone from what they thought they were in uh, Iraq and ended up in Iran and were arrested. And she was 11 months in solitary confinement. And that was really kind of agonizing, listening to her. And what she said was that in the first... In the first, I don't remember exactly the time frame, she said, but she said, um, I would, would pace just like a lion trapped in a cage. And she said, after a bit, I stopped pacing and I started to remember everything I could remember. And she says, you really don't realize how little is in your brain until you try to remember it all. And she said that um, that well, didn't... memories are not in the brain anyway. True, true. Um, but she was, it was, it was very sad to see her telling her story because you could see she was not even right yet. Um, she's still a lot of real heaviness about her. So yeah, the fact that, that most people can't exist in a solitary confinement thing with no interaction of anything, um, was brought up. And then they brought up you know, well, if you have this incredible need for different people, what, how is it that we can turn around and not look at genocide? 
And he and he delved into that too. It's a PBS program. It's called The Brain, and the episode I think was five. You know, why do I need you? Oh, okay, we got a, a question here um, from Sassy Annette. So when you talk about sending something to the universe, the universe is not so much an entity but a conglomerate of energies. I have to agree with that. Yes. Would you, Walt? An entity is a conglomerate of energies. <laughs> you're an entity. You're a conglomerate of energies. Are you? Or would you say you're only made up of one thing? No, good point. Good point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yes, um, you, two of us said yes. Colleen, seating. <coughs> okay, so where are we in our list? Um, Five. Yeah, no, actually, we're in uh, on seven, and that's everything that exists is linked to everything that exists. And this is a very comfortable concept for Native Americans because of the concept of the web. That. We're all linked on this web and anything that happens, just like, a, I mean, I don't know how many people have ever watched a spider's well, web. This explains, number seven explains why karma works at all. Because if everything were disconnected as the illusion of separation, you know, everybody's subject to the illusion of separation. You know, I am myself, you are you, and I have nothing to do with that stranger over there, right? Everything is separate. If that were complete and absolute, I could do whatever I want. It'll never come back to me because I am absolutely separate from that person. So I can do what I want. Nothing will ever happen to me. But because nothing is separate, because everything that exists is linked to everything that exists, that's what allows you know your actions, good or bad, to come back to you eventually because you're essentially doing it to yourself. That's the law of oneness. Yes. Um, I think that's kind of obvious if you get to be old enough. You know, because you, 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 as a kid, there's so many different things that start up in your life that you, you don't see the connectedness of everything. But the older I got, the more I would look back and go like, oh, that's why I knew that person. Oh, that's why I did that. You know, just in your own life, you could see how things want to uh, come together, that there's like a weave that's happening. And, it, it, you know, it's just it's a fundamental knowledge of everything that you do. When you're sitting there in a crowd, your very energy is affecting everybody in that crowd. Theirs are affecting you. That's why a lot of people who are energy sensitive don't like to be out in crowds. Because they can feel everybody's energy, and it gets uh, especially if you have an undefined solar plexus, you feel everybody's emotions. <laughs> well, yes, I don't. You know, there's different ways of, I suppose, of looking where this is coming from. But the fact of the matter is, is that it happens. You know, you feel it. You feel connectedness with some person. You either immediately don't, don't like them, or you immediately do like them. It's the the web. It's mm -hmm. the connectedness. <clears throat> you know how 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 intricate it is. Um, 
I don't know, but I know it's the, I know it's the thought, the, the thought energy. You know, it's like every thought has an effect on on the the collective. And once the collective has that thought, then other people in the collective who have not had that thought yet, it's right there. That's why I told you that media blackout of what happened in Iceland where the government forgave everyone's mortgage. And here in the U.S., they purposely reported nothing of it. You, you have to go to independent news sites to actually hear of it. That was a stupid effort. Because all those human, all that human consciousness in Iceland, they're aware of it. They experienced it. So now their knowledge, their knowledge, their experience is part of the web of the collective consciousness. So those thoughts are flying around. And that notion, that concept, the feeling of that experience is filtering through. And people that are wanting to be free of debt, wanting to be free of the slavery of mortgages, you know, Wanting to be free of being unpaid employees, because when you have a mortgage, what are you doing? You're working for somebody and you're not getting paid. You're paying someone. You're working to pay someone. You know, it, it's coming to them. They're, they're getting that. What that that uh, Icelandic experience is part of the human collective. So whether they like it or not, they're going to be faced with it because now people are thinking about it. They're considering it. You know, this is not impossible. If a country did it, why can't you do it here? And they didn't die. Nothing collapsed. Everybody eats every day and they go to school and they drink water and they get their clothes on. The, the, the country didn't go up in flames because everybody got their mortgages forgiven. So that's part of the human collective now. You can't erase it. You can hide it in the news all you want. It's out there. Well, um, I was working with somebody in the last few days and we ended up in um, a bubble in the middle of the human collective consciousness. And it was like, oh, wow, this is really very, very interesting. And then we were taught that if you really want to, um, let's say, harness some energy, you do it by tapping into that human consciousness. And I thought, oh, wow, this is amazing. Yeah, I never really thought about that. I mean, I as well, angels, I guess. You've, you've spoken about the, the fluoride agenda, right? <clears throat> yeah. The fluoride goes in, you know, and, and plugs up the third eye thing, right? Right. So many people <clears throat> that understand things about metaphysical nature, the first thing that comes to mind is that, oh, yeah, if you're plugging up my third eye, I can't use my third eye. That means I can't see the angels and the devas and I can't see my guides. It's plugging up my third eye. You're not wrong, but that's only part of the story. The other part of the story is that the pineal gland, not, not so much that physical, the, the physical pineal gland, but that energy center that's sitting there, the pineal gland, that's like a universal internet. When you go there and you broadcast a thought, a concept, something through that point, everybody gets it instantly. So that is the reason they needed to plug it up so that people could not communicate their thoughts. People could not communicate their experience. It was a way of dumbing down and putting the collective to sleep. If they can't talk to each other, then we can, we have better control. It's like somebody coming along. and If you have landlines in your neighborhood, someone coming along with a pair of, 
of uh, pliers and snipping off all the wires. So no, you can't pick up the phone and call your neighbor anymore. That type of thing. Because that's, if you go there, if you focus on that point in the center of your brain and bro- broadcast a thought, an idea, a notion, even a feeling, everybody gets it. But, and, I, and I suspect that um, they get it, but but w- w- when you... When you're doing something that is very creative, like writing or doing art or, uh, you know, even doing the stuff that you're doing, which is art and more, science, when you're into that head trip, we're really into a uh, alpha signal. And I think the alpha signal <clears throat> wants to go through the portal of the pineal gland, the third eye. I think that's when, when, when I know I'm in a theta signal, I can feel that it, it, it's focused on that, on that very center of my brain. You know, it like wants to, to talk there. So even people who are, you know, just doing creative things and they, well, nobody ever wants to see what I'm doing. When you're doing that, you're very powerful because you're connected to everybody. And when you go into a meditative state, same sort of situation, your brain is set up at the theta level to connect with the, the super consciousness, the collective consciousness, if you will. Well, look at the look at the inv- invention of radio. Here in the West, history recognizes Marconi, the Italian scientist and inventor, with the creation of radio. Right? You know that's the accepted history in the history books. Well, did you know that a, a few months before Marconi came out with his radio concept in India, an independent scientist by the name of Jagadi Chandra Bose developed the radio while he was doing, you know, transmission experiments. Because both the consciousness, you know, they were both tuned to the same notion in uh, in the universal collective. Because that's one of the things I know that, you know, uh, you know, mystery schools and all that stuff, it's annoying (laughs) when you come across, you know, groups still touting, you know, secrets here and secrets there, but uh, in ancient times when this stuff could not be publicly known and if you wanted to ne- learn any of this you had to join a mystery school there is a, play, a place in the astral plane because you, you, you've done your remote viewing and you know the astral plane is divided in densities it's not just one big flat thing uh, there is a place in the astral plane uh, it's called the hall of inventions and if you get to go there it's, it's so humongous and gigantic. It would take years just to take a look at a, a tenth of it. It's like a giant museum, and all you see is endless lines of stuff that's going to be invented. And that's why many of these scientists, like a uh, perfect example, um, Edison, every time he had an issue, something he couldn't figure out, he would take a nap in his office and he would ask not to be disturbed, and then he would come back and he would have the answer. That, that's all he did. He just visited the hall. I love Edison. He said that I didn't fail at the making the electric light bulb 99 times. I found out how it didn't work 99 times. <laughs> you know, and that 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 to me is um, is the reason for all of this. You know, we're just going through these incarnations, and we're building up our repertoire of experiences and hopefully knowledge, hopefully a bunch of aha moments. 
And um, just to finish kind of the story about the collective, so um, I'm thinking, oh, good, I got this really good place to, you know, kind of like you tap into it and you go, hey, guys, you know, what about this? Why don't, why don't we try this out, you know? And hopefully you're actually working with that collective and all those individual bubbles making up that collective to, at the thought level, actually influence in a much greater way our own realities. You know, so I'm pretty proud of myself. Oh, I did this. So I start telling Dietz, Stephanie Dietz, about it. And she goes, okay. And I said, well, you know, don't you think this is exciting? She said, that's what we're doing. I said, what do you mean that's what you're doing? Yeah, me and my group, we figured out that that was where the power was. And so we just kind of like tap into the collective when we do anything. And I'm going like, wow, the young guys have got it before the old guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and um, there's just so many indications of it. I do write in the book about it um, when I decide to start using Be Safe because it made a lot more sense than Be Careful. And pretty soon, you know, I'm hearing other people say Be Safe. And now you mostly hear Be Safe or some form of that versus Be Careful. Um the other being that, uh, you know, I get this Gaia word in my mind, and at the time it was used, but not very often, very infrequently, and now that's, you know, you hear it all the time. And if you just pay attention to what's trending, you're really connecting to what's happening in the collective. When I first started writing about cosmic reality is what you, one is what you think uh, reality is, you know, there wasn't anybody talking about that. Now, it wasn't that it wasn't being thought of. You know, I mean, the quantum physicists knew this. I, this isn't something that I made up like the be safe example. This is something that was already known in the quantum realm. Very well known. Very well understood. But the vast majority of people had not been able to integrate it into their patterns of thinking, their patterns of reality, until recently. And so now, I mean, if, you, if you're asleep, you might not understand it. But if you're half awake, you certainly do in one form or another. So, um, okay, we're like two minutes from the top of the hour. Time should, break. Yeah, should we take a break now and then um, we'll come back. And um, I hope they did post that in the, the link to the list. Um, because the next one is there are a finite number of souls. And that that's where it gets kind of like interesting. Where did you get that from? Well, we're going to talk about it. Oh, I'm, cool. I'm trying to remember. <laughs> <laughs> I better get in touch with one of my other personas, the one who keeps track of this stuff. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. So, uh, Colleen, are you there and do you have something to... Um, play i am here and i do have something to play we're back Oops. we're back <laughs> well we have another question from annette and she's directing it at you can you read it uh hold on let me adjust my volume here okay you need your volume it's to adjust so you can see it every time you play music it sounds incredibly saturated on this end, so I have to bring the volume down almost to nothing because it sounds like my speakers want to explode. But I guess it must be on my end because when I ask you, you say everything sounds normal on your end. Yeah, it all shows great on my side. The volumes are about the same and everything. It's mm. just the music. I get it, too. Mm. 
You're not the only one. Dolly says so, too. And I don't know how to adjust it unless it's... All that matters is it going over all right. That's to all. take down my butt volume. <laughs> just, just so long as the people aren't hurt. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, you're talking about this last posting here on the, on the Skype chat? Correct. Could I ask Annette to reformulate the question? In two minutes. I'll type it in the chat. Okay. And um, that would... Um, oh, Walt's saying that she should come on air and ask. Sure, if she wants to do that, that's that's fine with me. We're talking about... I think that's easier instead of typing. Perhaps. Always she can ask whatever she wants to ask. If she can set herself up that quick. What, she's not on Skype? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe not. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, why don't you try to come on here, uh, uh, unless you don't want to with that. She might have a asked the question and then, you know, maybe she doesn't feel like talking to us. Did she reply back to you at all? Um, I have typed it in the chat that she is being invited to come on the show. And we'll see if she logs into Skype, because right now she's kind of showing that she's away busy and stuff like that there. Okay. All right. While, while we're seeing if Annette wants to come on, why don't we um, go on to the next one? Is that okay? Sure. And that's everything that – oh, we just did that. Um, we're going to do – there are a finite number of souls. And <clears throat> actually, it was uh, the, the program that was on just before this, which was Annette, Sassy Annette's first – well, it was technically her first show under that title, but she did do a show in the last hour of, say, what, a few, month, few weeks ago. Um, and she wanted to talk to me about souls because of something you said regarding the uh, animal soul and, and, you know, started us off yep. talking about, uh, you know, uh, soul groups and that sort of thing. And it really was, she was <clears throat> very good in, in directing the conversation to answer in a you know layered kind of way, and where it comes down to is is when I wrote this, when I realized that there had to be a finite number of souls. Um, it just seemed to make more sense than the concept that somehow or another souls were being made for all these human bodies. I mean, we went to seven billion. Is there seven billion souls being manufactured as we go? Uh, that didn't resonate with me. And it didn't because of the concept of um, spontaneous incarnations. And that was an experience... No, you mean simultaneous. Simultaneous. What did I say? Spontaneous. Oh, no. Simultaneous incarnations. Because that was um, <clears throat> came about because of a uh, connection I made of being inside, having a memory of being inside John Kennedy's body as he was assassinated. And it you know, occurred to me that this could have been some massive ability to do telepathy um, in that I somehow was able to read his mind, but that's not what it felt like at all. It could have been some kind of a remote viewing thing, but it didn't feel like that at all. It felt like I was inside the man's body. And it led me to really question why that could possibly occur. 
And the only thing I could imagine is that in the infinite power of a given soul, it's not necessary to um, have somebody live and then somebody die, and then when that person dies, well, you can have another another you know chance at an incarnation. It would make sense to me that you could have simultaneous incarnations because the only requirement is a difference in space. So if my space is mine and Kennedy's is his, even though we're in close proximity place-wise, in that we're seemingly in the same time frame, on the same reality bubble, um, then it would make sense that it was a more efficient way of learning for the soul. Well, the, the way you describe the story, uh, I'm not saying you're wrong in any way, shape, or form, because you're, you're telling the story, you're describing it, um, my perception is that you and Kennedy belong to the same soul group. Because when you encounter members of your own soul group is when you share experiences like the one you described almost down to the T. So more than, other than a simultaneous incarnation, I think you and he are part of the same soul group. And would also explain the, your path, you know, your career in the government, um, all of that. Because the, 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 Members of the soul group support each other in their courses. The problem is the stupid system is set up to block you from being born together or near members of your own soul group because there's a purpose behind that. It keeps you disempowered. When two or more get together, well, there you have it. You never, uh, I take it you never met the man physically, but you m met him remotely and listen to the sound of your voice, the how powerful an experience that was. Imagine, you know, two or more members of your group coming together physically for whatever reason, to have coffee, you know, to have, eat a barbecue. You know, whatever gets discussed that day, it's going to have an impact everywhere. That's how much energy, and that's why they set up the system. So you can't, because it keeps people, you know, disempowered. That's why I told you the old reality is not broken. It's doing exactly what it was designed to do. Keep us separate, keep us asleep, keep us in slavery. <laughs> it's a well-oiled machine. We just have to cut the fuel source and just make our new reality. <laughs> Annette has joined us. She was, she did get up on Skype. Hi, Annette. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good. How are you guys doing? Very Hello, good. Annette. That's a nice window you got there. It's a nice window? Yeah, on your picture. In Skype, in the Skype picture. You don't even know what's showing. It's you. No, with, I have no idea. Oh, it, it, <laughs> it's, it's your wall with two windows and then we've got your eye, the half of your eye and eyeglasses showing. Oh, that's at work. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that's that before that's we had new, furniture. That's the yeah. new place? Yeah. Cool. Um, so anyway, he's just given you another interpretation of group soul. So <clears throat> you're the yeah, one you asked him about it. So why don't you, you guys talk? We guys talk. Well, I was trying to get hooked up, so I didn't hear some of what he said. I'm going to have to listen to it in the archives. Um, I got a few more questions. So Walt, what are you doing next Saturday? Mm -hmm. What are you doing next Saturday? I don't know, breathe some air, drink some water, eat some food. Be on Annette's show. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't received any official invitation yet, so 
I am officially inviting my Mr. Adorable Sweet Cheeks to come on my show and talk about souls. Wow. That doesn't, doesn't sound like an invitation I can dare to refuse. No, I'd, I'd take it personally at this point. <laughs> and you'd be in trouble with her mother. Yeah, he don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, and when Nancy was on with me last week too, she was talking about, she talked briefly about how you, you're, you have, there's an animal soul that's a, the, I don't know, I don't understand that, so I want you to talk well, about the, that too. Right now you're inhabiting a body. Yes. You have a physical body, but you're not the body. That body has an animal soul. And you you understand the concept of the chakras, right? You know, no. the seven major chakras? No. Okay. <clears throat> For the animal soul, whose job is to keep the life of the body, the solar plexus is the highest chakra. For the high soul that now in modern times sits in the brain, the crown chakra is the highest chakra in the body. That's why you essentially... It's you're like the 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 proverbial you know gentleman riding an, an elephant in India. You know you have the elephant, who's the animal, and you have this guy sitting up in this basket, enjoying. Okay, the, well, let, let me jump. Let me jump in here for a minute. <laughs> I'm not sure that that understands what a chakra is. Thank you. you. I was feeling really stupid, and I didn't. No, want to no, say no, 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 no. Well, saying, I asked her, and she I said know. yes. No, no she said no. no. She said, I said oh. no. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. You're my, hearing my what mistake. you wanted to. <laughs> he didn't want to explain it. Now we got you on the, you know, hey, you're, you you got a big one here. What's that chakra, man? Yeah, you guys asked me to come on, so this is your fault. <laughs> okay, well, uh, do you understand that besides the physical body, you have other bodies? No, I understand I have a physical body and I have a soul and I have a brain sometimes. Okay, so let me. <laughs> you can have to start right at the beginning. <laughs> well, the, besides the physical body, you have other energy bodies. They they exist whether you like it or not. I mean, they just because you can't see them or smell them doesn't mean that they're not there. If I'll give you an example, uh, I take it you've had, you've been to dentists, you've had dental surgery at some point in your life. Yes. Okay. And the dentist injected some kind of anesthesia on you or laughing gas or nitrous oxide or something? Yes. And therefore, he was able to work in your mouth without you experiencing traumatic pain? Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, no? Yes. Okay, I need to know where you are so that I can continue. Okay. Well... When when they do that, when they use nitrous oxide or or a, a drug, yeah, the scientific explanation is that oh, it's doing this thing to the nerve endings. Not really. It's it's actually working on the etheric body. It pushes the etheric body out of alignment with the physical body long enough so that the dentist can work on the flesh, on the bone, without your consciousness registering traumatic pain levels. That's why there are people that describe uh, being exposed to nitrous oxide. They'll see, like like a drunk man, they'll see pink elephants or they'll see something that wasn't in the room before. 
because you're literally pushing the etheric body out of alignment. That's why you, if you bang your toe, you feel pain and you send, and the scientific reasoning, oh yeah, the nerve endings, they hit the thing and, and those signals go into the brain and you experience pain. Yeah, that's a, that's a very sound, good scientific explanation, but it's, when I'm talking to Annette Babko right now, I'm speaking to the consciousness of the high soul and the brain. The low so soul my, is the one So my consciousness so, is what, the same thing you guys, when you talk about the etheric? No, consciousness has no place. There is no... Right, no wait, wait, okay, <laughs> I, I figured that might be the problem here. When we talk about the etheric and that, what it is, in, and this has been scientifically proven. Wait, 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 Nancy, before we do that, what if we let Annette experience etheric energy? Okay. Would that okay. give her, like, first-hand experience? Okay. Let, me just, let me just say this. It's, a, it's an energy blueprint that the physical body then takes. It's almost like the blueprint for your physical body, okay, and it, when it's working with, it, with the physical in other words, it's got other other things that happen with it, but basically, and and they have. There's a book out called Vibrational Medicine, and it's by Dr. Gerber. And in it, they he he shows different experiments that show that that energy body is actually the blueprint that allows at the time where you're you got all these cells that are are duplicating as a fetus as the embryo. Okay, and as it gets to a certain number of cells, it begins to specialize into the heart and the lungs and all of that. That's the etheric body, the energy body imprinting itself on the 3D, let's say, matrix so that that person will be a female or a male and look like so-and-so. But that comes from the etheric, not from your DNA. All right, and that's it's just an energy body. Your third dimension is an energy body. The etheric is an reflection or mirror or blueprint for that 3D body. Okay? This, okay. Can you feel that, sort of? Can you understand that? that I, I think I'm... I think I've... Well, where, you, where you're sitting, for example, I take it there's a wall behind the computer. I don't know where the, the computer is sitting, if it's sitting in a table in the middle of the room or if you're sitting on a desk by the wall. I'm, I'm at... And I'm on my my comfy chair, so my computer is facing the living room. At the okay, so I, I, okay, is there a wall in front of you at some distance? I take it. Yes. Okay. Bring up one of your hands, whichever hand—left hand, right hand—and okay. just bring up the hand in front of your face. You know, a foot away from your from your face, with okay. the palm facing you, and splay your fingers so they're all separate. Okay. And your eyes, you know, relax your eyes, but focus on the wall. Don't pay attention to your hand. And very slowly, you're going to move your hand up and down so that your fingers are blocking the line of sight. So you don't have to put, you don't have to touch your face. Just keep it at a distance, I don't know, maybe 10 inches away from your face. So that as you move the hand up and down, the fingers cut across the line of vision and just pay attention to the feeling in your fingers and notice what you feel every time the finger cuts across the line of vision.
I'm supposed to feel something in my fingers. I don't feel anything yep. in my fingers. Or you might feel it in your eyes. There is my eyes are making my fingers look like I'm not seeing my fingers. I'm seeing uh, like <clears throat> alien hands. I have alien hands now, Walt. How far away is your hand from your face? About 10 inches. Okay. And you should notice something in your eyes as well. As, as you go up and down, there is a noticeable sensation because you're actually cutting across the, the eyes put out a visual ray, which can be used by people, you know, that know, that do energy practices. They can do, use that to see very far distances. So as you move the hand very slowly up and down, you're actually cutting across that ray and some people feel it in their fingers, others feel it in their eyes. Like you're, moving across something. You're cutting across something. That's etheric energy. Okay, I must be tired. <laughs> well, you know, it, it might come to you, and, and, and we'll have to go on Saturday and, you know, see if you ever feel it. Yeah, I'll practice. Well, like I'm going to try and practice meditating and not thinking about other things. Okay, remember, praying is asking, is talking to God, and meditating <laughs> is listening to God. I know, I hear you say that all the time in my head when I'm trying to meditate, and I can't stop thinking about the 50 things I have to do at work. <laughs> I can't well, hear anything. <laughs> but you don't, you're not doing them in your head. You should do them at work. The minute well, you should... leave that door to go home, uh-huh. that's it. The clock is off. Never take work home. I don't, I don't care you know, how much responsibility you have. It's not supposed to work that way. You close the door behind you and the work stays there at the office. I've, I, I've had this conversation before. I had a, a co-worker who collapsed and got taken into the hospital. They thought he had a major heart attack. He wasn't. He had tachy, a tachycardia because he was never at home, even though his body was at work at home. In his head, he was working 24-7. And this is, this is a man with a wife and two little kids. And I said to him, are you insane? What is your wife and your kids going to do if you, if you die for this, for this corporation? And they, I mean, you know, they mm-hmm. use people and throw them away like matchsticks. Yeah. So he had to, he had to train himself. You know, you walk through the door, you're at work. You go out the door, you're out the door. You, you have to go back to being yourself. Otherwise, I don't care if they give you a 20% raise, it's not worth it. It's not enough money to pay for your life. Oh, I agree. And I do better. I don't actually do the work when I get home. I just think about it right now. I'm working it's stages. I'm working on stages. <laughs> my, th- my theory is if there's something that needs done, but I can't do anything about it right now, why am I bothering thinking about it? Exactly. Uh, no matter how much thought I would give something, when I would finally get to execute it, it was always something I hadn't thought of anyway. <laughs> Correct, you know? because you're not, you cannot grasp the infinite permutations and combinations of the universe. It doesn't matter how, how what a quick thinker you are or how much stuff you know, you will never grasp the infinite, the infinite variety of the universe. It's like chaos theory. <laughs> the most unpredictable thing will happen, and all your plans you know, went out the window. Okay, so the etheric is the blueprint. It's what. That's why you have brothers and sisters of the same parent 
that actually yeah. look very different. Genetics plays a little bit of a role, but the rest of it is that, you know, when a person dies and they go and they incarnate, they carry across physical attributes from their previous life, depending on how much energy was concentrated in that life. And you can see that uh, in photos of documented cases of reincarnation, you see the person, the present person, has a strong resemblance to the old person, you know, old black and white photos from the 1800s. In fact, there's a book out called The Return of the, Re the Revolutionaries, and the man who wrote it is actually the reincarnation of Adams. And you look at his, the man's face now, and you see a, a, a portrait of Adams, and it's incredible, the resemblance. And in the book, he documents, he says that because of what's happening on the, with, with the country now, all these souls that were part of the revolutionary movement which failed. The revolutionary movement failed. The U.S. never became an independent country because the U.S. Treasury was being controlled by by the Bank of England. That's why Lincoln tried to shut down the Treasury, failed. Jefferson tried to shut down the Treasury, failed. So this, this country became a financial colony of England. You know, why do you think the IRS collects our money and it goes to England and then it goes to the Vatican? Because the revolution failed. And that's why the revolutionaries are coming back. And he, in the book, he documents not only himself, but others that are out there in the field and are actually, you know, people coming back because the fight isn't over yet. Sorry, I went off, I really went off track there. <laughs> I found it fascinating. So, yeah. who's George Washington? I don't. I never. I had never purchased the book. I guess I should look for it on Amazon and, and buy it. Uh, Eric is the one who constantly uh, speaks of it because it's a very powerful argument for reincarnation. Well, not only that, but I mean, if you research reincarnation, you're going to be stunned at how much information is really available. Um, not only do you. Well, okay, my mom. My mom had ten kids, and I was in college, and I was learning about. Um, environments environment versus genetics and i'm you know talking to her and telling her this da 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 and she looked at me and she said none of it none of it neither of those things are what's happening and i said what do you mean she said look it you all come from the same genetics your your father and i have had all you children you all live in exactly the same environment she said, but within a week of your birth, I could tell what your personality would be. That she would, she knew that the personality, who this person was, was there from the get-go. It had nothing to do with environment and it had nothing to do with genetics. Now that's a woman's experience of having 10 kids. Yeah. Yeah, that's why so many people find it difficult. You don't understand, you know, you, I have these two kids, they're the same age, they have the same upbringing, the same education, one goes south, the other one goes west, and there's no, <laughs> well, you know, those souls incarnated with some kind of agenda or some stuff. To, and not only, not have, only, th not only that, but the, you know, people, people carry wounds. Yeah. From past lifetimes. They'll actually have wounds in the same place, you know, a problem in the same place. And I mean, this is documented. They've done uh, research. And I, 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 we did a whole show about this. You know, yeah, I, I had that issue with 
with my mom. I had to help her in 2004. She developed this terrible pain in her left and her right shoulder. It would respond to nothing, no kind of therapy, you know, you know painkillers, nothing. It would re, it would not react to any traditional therapy or even alternative therapy. So at the time I had learned the 15 step process that Dr. Costa uh, was teaching. So we did a session and walk her through the process so to take the, her pattern body into fourth dimension so we could ask her guides questions. And when I asked, you know, where is this coming from? She started describing a scene in the back of a house in France sometime in the 1500s. And she saw this girl drawing water from a well. And she noticed that the girl's right arm and shoulder were all bandaged. She had gotten into an accident. So I, I walk her through the process of, you know, remove the bandages, heal her body, explain her that everything is going to be okay. So uh, 24 hours later, the problem was completely gone and never came back. And nothing was being done therapy-wise because nothing it wasn't reacting to any form of therapy. So that just goes to show one time doesn't exist. <laughs> and for your uh, your cosmic reality rule, you know everything is connected to everything else. <laughs> exactly. So anything else you want to question us about, like we've already covered in it, or um, do you want to stay with us? Um, we're going to continue. Uh, Annette's original question came from the consciousness, that she connects consciousness to the physical brain, and in the wolf chat I said no. Yeah, so and I that, said, what? That confused her. <laughs> and it's it's obvious because, you know, you've been taught what you've been taught, that, you know, you're wearing this female body by a name of Annette. So you say, you look in the mirror and you say, this is me. I am Annette. Well, nothing could be farther from the truth. You have a body. You're not the body. You have a mind. You are not the mind. You are pure consciousness. You're playing, you know, you, you, you come into the body. You need the mind because the mind is a, it's a nice organic computer. It's what you use to figure things out. You know, how much money do I need to pay the bills? How many boxes do I need to pack up all these oranges? That's what the mind is for. It's not for making decisions. And thanks to Eric, when he first introduced me to the 15-step process, it was an amazing experience. You know, it's impossible to re-share with someone with words because you can't put it in words. But it was amazing being able to be put in a place of consciousness where I could literally witness my mind separate from me. I'm looking at this thing, and I knew it instantly what it was. Okay, that's my mind. That's where I process my thoughts. But it's over here, and I'm over here. So you that's why human design teaches people how to use their true inner authorities and to get away from the mind. The mind is it's a very useful organic machine, but it's a tool. The same way you use your hands, the same way you use your legs. I mean, if you were to lose an arm, would you stop being a net? No, I'd be okay. It's just part of you. It's a net is nowhere, cannot be defined to any body part, not even the complete body. Uh, that was that was a wonderful dialogue in the movie with Cuba Goodwin Jr. and uh, Robin Williams. What dreams may come. When he dies and he passes to the other side and, uh, Cuba Goodwin Jr. is his guide and 
And he says, because he's wondering, okay, who am I? Or what is this consciousness thing? And he said, well, if you love, if you lost an arm or, or a leg, would you stop being you? No. So the, the brain is just another body part. So how can you be in the brain? <laughs> well, how could once, okay. So my consciousness, once I, once my body, and my brain die. My consciousness is still there and can still direct the energies. Well, you wouldn't, you, you think... wouldn't have, by the brain shutting down, your physical connection to the body isn't there. So you would witness everything, but you wouldn't have control over the dimension because your body is, a, for example, if you, you were a space woman and they send you on a mission to the moon to collect some rocks. Can you get out of your ship and just walk around on the moon like nothing? You know, just wearing your sweater and your sneakers. And No, you can't. You need a spacesuit, right? Uh-huh. So that your form won't perish in that extreme environment. That's your body. That's your spacesuit that you're using to interface with this world. That's why many people refer to it as a meat suit, like uh, Andrew Bartz's. You know, that he says, that's why the, all, all the aliens want this meat suit, because it has all the DNA codes to travel anywhere in the universe. Where some civilizations don't have that, and they they cannot travel anywhere they want. They can only travel to a certain percentage of the universe. This is your spacesuit. This is what you're using to interact with this dimension, to touch the walls, to pick up the cup of coffee, to take a shower. This is what you're using. When you go to sleep and your five senses begin to shut down, I take it you dream. I don't know. Some people tell me that, oh, I don't know. I wake up in the morning. I don't know if I've dreamt. I don't know if you're one of those people. Do no, you? I love my dreams. I remember many. Okay. Well, your body wasn't there, but you were there. Um, <laughs> okay. Otherwise, well, mom, want, mom wants me to ask a question. How do you want me to ask that? Okay, mom says she sees like five groups of people, and the people in all of those groups look alike. Uh, what is it that you're describing? Uh, she's wanting to know why all of the people in these five different groups all look the same. I don't know what the hell she's talking about, but that's what she wanted me to ask you. Is it happening right now? <laughs> is she seeing people? Are you seeing dead people? Are you seeing them right now? So you see five different groups of people? In all the peoples in the world, I yeah. see like there's, they all fit into five patterns. One so, of the five? Yes. Okay. So it sounds like she's describing human types. There's only, there's only four, and one of, the, one of those four has a subdivision. So that would make five. So it looks like she's looking at human design groups. He says you're looking at human design groups. You'll hear it and give it two minutes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because you have generators, manifesting generators, uh, projectors, reflectors, and manifestors. That's five. Well, all right. Look at her. She's smarter than I knew. Well, you you haven't seen you haven't seen what her guide showed me. So I would be. <laughs> 
If I were with her, you know, I would get on my knees and just kiss her feet every day. Oh, good Lord, don't even say that. Now she's going to want more and more and more. Oh, come on. <laughs> you have no idea what you're living with. Let, let, let me um, take it back to the question of consciousness. Okay. I, I did a show on, uh, before Walt even showed up on the, on the show with me, and it was about consciousness, and I was listening to, um, uh, Deepak Chopra, and this doctor who was an anesthesiologist, and I just cannot remember his name. But in his role, he would take people and put them to, so that their bodies were essentially dead. And, and just like Walt said, um, there was a separation of the etheric, or some energy force that was outside of the body while they're working on it. And he understood this because he made people die on a regular basis. Well, he got involved with a quantum physicist. And between the two of them, they came up with what I consider probably the most accurate rendition of where con how consciousness comes about and where it resides. Whether they're right or not, I don't know, but I resonated with the energy and it's, and it's not that difficult to understand. Basically what happens is that we're working in the brain and the brain is going through life learning different experiences and all of a sudden it has what's called an aha moment. Now this aha moment actually changes your brain signal. They, uh, took a whole bunch of monks and they put them through this, um, just testing them while they were, were teaching them something. And every time they went to that, oh, wow, I got it, aha moment, there would be a change in their brains. So knowing what the change was, you can see that somebody that is of a high mystical sort has a lot more of these aha moments as their brains are changing faster than a normal person. So this aha moment, well, what, what is this aha moment? What is this, this special energy? In their concept, this special energy is basically uh, what they called uh, proto-energy coming from the quantum field. And that it is a instant and place and space of complete understanding. It's like a, a subroutine, if you will, a subprogram. Now, that particular energy field, they somehow, and I don't know how they did it, but this is the quantum physicist with a neuro, neurological kind of guy getting together and figuring this out, decided that this information was being contained within the microtubulars within the basic cells. All the cells have these, these microtubulars that are actually like the skeletal uh, foundation for the cell itself. And somehow or another, they decided that it was like a miniature computer and they had put this thing through all sorts of tests and whatever. But that's where they felt that the energy, this new, this, this proto energy from the quantum comes in and then is registered in this particular, uh, computer because it is so, it's almost like on the edge of 3D and something else. In my opinion, the etheric energy. Okay. Now, what happened, he said, that was that because this energy was was created in an aha way by an individual, the energy itself had a signature of that person. So all of these aha moments, all of these little thoughts are by quantum uh, attraction, 
okay, the quantum entanglement concept, um, are all pulled together as one consciousness associated with whoever signed it. You know, it would be me in my case, you in your case. And that when death comes about, it does not take very much energy to keep those things together. So he believed that what happened was, he said, he said, I'm not telling you that it lasts forever. I'm just talking in terms of energy. But when somebody physically dies, that energy leaves the body and is sort of like connected but just hanging around to see what happens next. If the body dies, then that whatever it is, the, the consciousness that is developed because of this life experience thing in these aha moments, he doesn't know where it goes. He admits he doesn't know what happens to it. However, if the body is revived, then it goes back in. And that's what he kept seeing, was that here I got a dead body, and now all of a sudden it's animated with life again. So um, I don't know if that helps or confuses, but at least it's a scientific you know, scientific in that they've done a massive amount of um, testing to kind of prove their theory. Um, but it, it may just give you a feeling that, that what we're talking about is not woo-hoo bullshit. It really does have a reason for being from the concept of quantum physics, which is uh, taking us into a new realm of thinking. And, you know, I mean, a lot of the stuff that I said in my books was because I I didn't study quantum physics. I was aware of it. I listened to people. I loved the stories. And I got the general understanding that, you know, it's an energy universe. So sorry about jumping in like that, but I thought maybe it would be another way of looking at it. Help or hinder, Annette? You're, I'm... I'm not sure. I, from what you've just said, it kind of, to me, makes me think of kind of the same way as I see the soul. The consciousness and the soul then would, to me, seem a lot similar. Yes, so I don't exactly. Know it, exactly. I don't, okay. It's sort of scientific, a scientific explanation of soul. You know, and then you go back down to, well, is it, is it, you know, an individual soul? Um, is it only the one incarnation thing and that that you go into this group soul? I'm still firmly convinced that the soul that I deal with has had many incarnations, but it's also linked to a group soul of the continuum, if you will. And <laughs> then that is linked to the source God. Can this we look at Annette's body, uh, human type, see what what type she belongs to? That's up to her. Do you know sure. what time you were born in it? No. Mom, I'm off. she's two minutes behind. <laughs> <laughs> she won't know. I don't know what time you were born. Mom, what time was I born? What time was I born? She thinks it was like 7.30 in the morning. 7.30. 7.30 and the day? It was July 2nd, 1969. July. 
1969. So I was 10 years old. What, uh, what, um, state? Michigan. Michigan. Uh, city? Lansing. Uh, spell that? L-A-N-S-I-N-G. Okay. <laughs> She's a manifester. Okay, what's that mean? A manifester is a person that doesn't need an invitation. They don't need to answer questions. They just, <laughs> they just go and do your, your, you only have two centers, the throat and the heart that are defined. The heart is a motor. It's connected to the throat, which is the center of manifestation. So manifestors, they just get up and go. If a manifest, no wonder they gave you the job of moving the, the office. Because a manifester wants to start a business, all they have to do is, you know, get up off their chair, go to the people that they have got to talk to, and boom, they have a business. Uh, all the manifestors need to do in regards to the other is um, inform. Like, if you're going to do something, just be considerate, and, you know, whoever is that you're with, just tell them, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. They can't stop you. But it puts their mind at ease because manifestors tend to freak people out. <laughs> well, yeah. They're a hundred percent independent. They don't, I'm a projector. I need to, in order for me to get something done with another, regardless who the other is, I need to be invited into their process. Otherwise it's pointless. Nancy is the same way. Uh, generators need to be asked questions, but you're a manifestor. And the thing with the manifestor is that they have a closed aura. You cannot connect to a manifestor unless they let you connect to them because they're walking around, you know, sitting in a, in, in a Sherman tank. You can't get to them. If they don't let you in, you're not going in. Uh, your head center and your Ajna center are open, meaning that all the questions in your head are not your questions and you shouldn't waste time. You, your job, if anything, is to scan the field and see which questions are worth answering. But you don't have to. You don't have to bother answering questions. Uh, your memory is not consistent. Your ability to remember things with accuracy is dependent on your attention that you gave any one given subject. So you should not be swearing on your memory like, oh, I swear that it's this thing. Chances are you're wrong. Wow, that's so true because I don't remember. There's so much of my life that I don't remember. <laughs> I have an open G center, and this is one of those you should keep an eye out. The open G center, the G center has to do with, with love and your course through life. And people with an open G center, they have to mind where they are at all times. If you're in the wrong place, you're surrounded by the wrong people. Like if you're going to have a, a business meeting and you're going to meet at a pizzeria with somebody and you're going to discuss some plan. If that pizzeria is wrong for you, then cancel the meeting and schedule someplace else. Uh, having an open G center, instead of you choosing your course through life, the course kind of comes to you because a person like this, let's say you want to find a place to move to, uh, all you have to do is just tell everyone you know, you know, the realtor, a friend, coworker, anybody that you know, you know, I'm, I'm in the market for a new place. And just sit back and wait. They're going to come to you. 
and they're going to, okay, I found this place. Oh, I did you check this place? And they'll bring you the information. Um, you have an open solar plexus, which means that you get to feel 200% of other people's emotions. So this, this type of person is the type of person that uh, is always avoiding confrontation and truth because it feels really uncomfortable. Uh, this is the person that in the restaurant setting, if they bring you an improperly made meal, you'll just pay the bill and leave as opposed to having it sent back to the kitchen to make again. So uh, knowing this, the beauty of it is that once you learn how you function correctly, you don't have to be subject to this stuff. It's the, the nuts of mind. The, not, the mind doesn't know how your body works. So it gets into into the into the business of trying to manage the body and it throws a wrench in the works. And once you, you're shown how you work, you don't have to worry about it. Like I, your sacral center is open. What does that mean? It means that you can't work 12-hour shifts. You work, but you have you need your rest. You have to rest as much as you work because otherwise you're going to crash and burn. So the problem with people with an open sacral center, like us projectors, me and Nancy, we spend so much time around generators. You feel their generator energy and you feel that you can work 10 hours without even going to the bathroom, but it's a, it's not true. Just because you're feeling their energy, that doesn't mean that it's accessible for you to use. And, you know, it kind of makes you a work slave. And you can get a little bit addicted to, like, food because that's that's what one of the things that is regulated by the center. Your splenic center is open, which means your intuition is not reliable. It, it'll be dependent on uh, time and other factors. But because the spleen is open... It, it, uh, how can I explain this? When a center is open, there's nine centers in the body. When a center is open, it's like a radar station, constantly sta- scanning and picking up stuff. So when the spleen is open like that, when somebody approaches you, you're able to scan their physical state. You know, are they healthy? Are they sick? Are they trustworthy? Are they kind of unreliable? It lets you scan that type of quality in the person. Uh, your open splenic center and your open uh, um, solar plexus, it's a, it's a good uh, structure for people that are involved in energy healing because those two centers being open, you're actually scanning, you're picking up what their emotional state is and you're picking up their energy state. So for energy healers, it's a good thing to have. But there are no bad designs. There aren't. The design is perfect no matter what it looks like. Um, the root center is open. How do, what does this mean to you? Well, it means that this is the kind of person that's always feeling pressured to f- do. They're always under pressure. You know, no sooner are they done finishing something, they're looking for the next thing because they're, f- by doing stuff, they kind of relieve the pressure of the center for a bit. And then they're rushing to, okay, well, I should be finishing this other stuff. Or are you look, always looking for something to do and you don't need to, drive yourself crazy, just be aware that it's there. Yes, I'm feeling the pressure to do. Do I want to? No, I don't have to. And just be aware of how the vehicle functions. Well, I, I'm here uh, having a, a need to act here or whatever. Oh, okay. <laughs> because we're running out of time. And we oh, do, sorry. No, no, it's, it's okay. But there's a question from uh, Magis111. 
saying, what about seeing faces hundreds constantly as you're going to sleep? Um, personally, I can't imagine that that's much fun. And so I would, um, I would stop it. I would say, I'm not going to do this. Because regardless of where it's coming from, it would be very bothersome to me. And I'm assuming if you're asking the question that it is to you too. So I would just put in a sub-program and say, stop that. You know, or, um, you know, how, you know, you can also do, how was it that I was able to stop that? But it's, it's you. It's you putting up a, a thought in, in your own program that says, I don't want to hear that anymore. Uh, that's, that's what I'd recommend. What do you think, Walt? Yeah, it, it sounds like I, I put a reply on the chat. It sounds like the person is seeing the other side before falling asleep. So that's a really good third eye you have there because even before you're falling asleep, you're you're seeing clearly now why they're interested in you. That like Nancy says, better be safe than sorry, and just say, okay, this is my space. I don't want you here. That's one of the things that I learned from Dr. Costa is that. If you're the one sitting in this dimension, you're the one that calls the shots. You're the one that have the power. A lot of people are terrified of psychic attacks from entities and all that stuff. Look, an entity doesn't have a physical body. It's not, it's not that powerful. All those people, for example, I, I didn't <clears throat> ask the question to Eric when you were interviewing, remember when you were interviewing Eric Perry? And he told the story that how he was picked up and thrown and you know, so many feet by this entity right? and and the group. Um, I I didn't ask him because, you know, he was in the flow of a story and then I forgot the question. But uh, from everything that I, I've studied and seen and learned, that the entity is only able to do that because it's feeding off of their emotional energy. It needs a fuel source. Otherwise, it is absolutely powerless. But because the people are there, and they're in a state of excite, you know, they're excited, or they might be anxious, or they're, you know. Well, they had actually asked to be shown. <laughs> and and you're giving them permission, you know, you're letting this entity into your energy. Then yeah, you, you're the fuel, and they have and they have the intention. So yeah, they can pick you up and throw you across the room. But that's, you know, the human is, like you said before, you're making a contract. But if you're in this dimension, you're wearing this meat suit, you got the power. And you tell it, you know, stop. Whoever you are, and I don't want to see you anymore, and you have no business being in my space. And I've got the power to stop the show. So <laughs> Take it away. We're, we're coming to the top of the hour. Um, you guys will have a great show on Saturday, and that's at oh, 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 8 to eight to 9, right? Yep. Eastern time. Um and before that is Say What with myself and Colleen. And before that is, um, is Dolly. And I'm not sure who she's got on. I'm sorry, Dolly. I don't, I don't know, but, um, she always has a great show anyway. Um, tomorrow we're going to be doing Whitley, uh, the ends of Whitley Streber. And, um, do you have anything planned, Walt? Have you got any shows I don't know about? Uh, Annette invited me for this Saturday. Yeah. What, yeah. That what time that's Saturday. Eight, eight. eight Eastern. Night yep. uh, or the morning? Don't be silly. What? I'm not going to get up on a Saturday morning. I got to sleep. I work too hard during the week. You just told me that. I crash when I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's not, it's not an 8 in the morning then. 
Nope. No, it's eight at night. Well, okay. you're se- seven o'clock your time. Okay. That's what I'm trying to figure out. Seven o'clock <laughs> your time. <laughs> um, we thank everybody for being here. Right after the show is um, going to be a reading by Colleen. And um, what's after that? Say what from last week, I think. Right. Yeah. So we thank you all so very much for being here. This is Haggy Shack's production that is simulcast over Wolf Spirit Radio. My name is Nancy Hopkins. That's Walt Silva. Annette is with us, and she's going to just be one of the premier hostesses on this uh, wonderful station. Isn't Annette the the radio station mascot? (laughs) It could be. (laughs) Sassy Annette. Well, Annette, well, you know the, the old saying, it takes a village to raise a child? <laughs> well, the spirit is, the is the village, and we're raising this child. Yeah, that's it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when, when she said her age, I was um, a junior in college. So, uh, <laughs> you know, we're just, we're just more mamas. you got a lot of mamas now, it. That's okay. I, I can always use more mamas. <laughs> but mine gets a little jealous sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> no. Love you guys. Be safe. We'll see you Good next night, everyone. Have fun. Night, everybody. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Colleen. You're welcome. Love, Love y'all. Bye-bye. See y'all later. Preaching. Preaching. The unknown, unknown, unknown. You have been listening to the Cosmic Reality Radio Show, produced by Cosmic Reality Radio. Thank you for listening. Choose your heart as a man.